Thank you for checking out the Missio Day Humble Park podcast and joining us as we join God as He makes all things new. We are excited to pursue His heart for the greatest city on earth in the center of the city in this great neighborhood of Humble Park. Thank you. Here we are, Resurrection Sunday. The Super Bowl of Sundays, um, and why? Because we are celebrating the risen King Jesus. No small reason to celebrate. And he's given us so much in himself, and such a perfect picture of what love is. That all these terms that we may think about forgiveness, or even repentance, are defined in who Jesus is and the life that he lived. Sometimes I would say something hyperbolic as I'm known to say in that if I could find a better paradigm for love in the world, I would be there. But I don't think there exists one as in God coming fully God, fully man and giving his only son for us. That's love. That is not hiding behind all of your resources, that is laying everything on the line for each one of us. And today I want to talk about us going from repentance to rest. Now, it's not going to be a fire and brimstone message, okay? So you can, you can cool out. We're thinking about repentance as a way of holding our heart before the Lord and how gently he treats us. We learn to trust people by their consistency and their faithfulness and relationships. We learn to trust God because of his consistency and his faithfulness and the way he treats us. And none better than Jesus on this cross. We all know the story of Jesus being drugged through the streets, attempting to attach shame to him, carrying the crossbar of this same cross or a similar cross, attempting to give him the most horrid murder and torture possible. I don't even think we have an equivalent because all of our state murders happen behind closed doors. They happen in prisons or they happen in gas chambers. They happen in places where they're hidden from the public eye. Jesus was laid bare on a cross much like this for all to see. You know what's crazy? Is that the size of the cross was about seven feet tall. Think how different we think of it in modern culture. We think of this like 20-foot cross and Jesus is like hovering over everybody. You know how it is in the movies. But think about a cross about this height. Jesus being put on that. It makes it a big difference because in Roman culture, they wanted to make sure the beast could get to you to tear you apart after they laid you on the cross. This is something that doesn't have a distance. You know, we're driving like from Florida and you go through Indiana and they got these huge crosses that are like a thousand, hundred feet, hundreds of feet tall. You're like, did he just die on a cross like that? But he did die for us and in the sinless sacrifice we have life and we have resurrection and we have redemption and remission from our sins. This is the good news of the gospel. This is a beautiful story that never gets old to me. That he would lay everything on the line. 
So in Luke 23 and 32, as Jesus is on the cross, and he has the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, as we know he's in excruciating pain, so much so, Simon of Cyrene had to carry just the crossbar for him all the way to the cross, excruciating pain, and he's up there in agony, and he utters these audacious words. There were also two others, criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, as he is the Christ, the chosen God. That in this moment of agony, chaos, that he would have the audacity to utter these words of repentance, these words of forgiveness. Don't hold them against them. How many times that we are in situations that are way less painful than this, and we want revenge for somebody? We want revenge for ourselves. We're like, God, I mean, at least let them crash because they cut me off. <laughs> at least let them, you know, how many times you wish when somebody speeds past you, it's like, oh, let them get pulled over. Come on, Jesus, just get them. Just this once for me. Oh, dang, it didn't happen. <laughs> we, we desire revenge. How empty must you be of hate and full of love to or utter the words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Don't hold it against them. This is the forgiveness and the righteousness we get to stand in from Jesus Christ. But I'm a man, so I think that my own righteousness is good enough. I think that my ability to have integrity is good enough. I think that my ability is to be perfect and to not mess up is good enough. But my best day and the best suit I may have on does not equal the righteousness of Christ. Because in the moment where he would be perfectly suited to ask for revenge, he said, no, Father, stay your hand against them. How much even more for us. To be empty of revenge even at that moment. In Matthew 5 and Matthew 6, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. Yes, Jesus has given us forgiveness and righteousness to stand in, but we get to also be forgiving to others. And not hold anything against them. But it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard when people hurt us. And people may have the best intentions in the world. Or they may have the worst intentions in the world. And we hold it against them. But you know what it says in the same chapter? If you don't forgive them, your sins will not be forgiven either. This is a daily process of us learning to forgive the way Jesus did. He said, forgive, 
I'm going to teach you how to pray. Forgive us. And then Jesus on the cross says, forgive them. And as a result, he forgave all of our sins. Standing in the righteousness of Jesus. As a black man here in America, I try to do the Gumby work of avoiding looking sinister at all. I over-explain myself. I, you know what I mean? I go in a cafe. Uh, I'm here. I need a coffee, but I'm just going to sit down for a while. You know, I do all these mental gymnastics of being black in America because I want to make sure I'm seen as righteous. I want to see, I want to make sure I am in the right place. But you know where the right place is? In the arms of Jesus. That as much as I try, I am still going to experience people holding their purses or people uh, making assumptions about me. How can I pray the same prayer? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, justice is not about revenge. Justice is about the mercy of God for all of us. And even as Jesus is, as Mason shared earlier, Jesus is walking on a road. This is after he says it is finished. And his disciples are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus and then they go back to the upper room and Jesus appears to them and these are some of the last words that he says to them on earth. Thus it is written and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. woo Yeah! The core of the gospel is right there. It's necessary for Christ to suffer and arise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. So even as we stand in the righteousness of Christ and begin to approach him, I think we think uh, repentance is saying I'm sorry. I think we think repentance is this painful like reality of, oh, I got to say I'm sorry again. I have to stay in front of this cross. It says in Galatians 2.20 that we are crucified with Christ. But he's not in front of the cross anymore. He's not on the cross anymore. But we stay there. And we apologize. And we say, Jesus, I won't do it next time. I'm sorry, I promise you. We stay in front of that cross. But repentance, you know what the real word means? It means to turn. That's it. It means to turn. Moses in a burning bush, he said, maybe I'll turn aside to see why this bush doesn't burn. Ruth and Naomi, maybe I'll turn aside and go with Naomi on her way. It is simple as turning. It's not about the guilt, the shame, all those things that seeks to attach itself to us, 
as they tried to attach themselves to Jesus carrying his cross. But you know what he did? He scorned the shame. Butt naked in a loincloth, he scorns the shame, and then he has sat down at the right hand of the Father, turning, just like the sun turns, just like the earth turns, that we would turn aside. And that we understand that this is a daily walk of examining our hearts to ensure we don't have unforgiveness. It's crazy that all God needs is an opening for us. In our state of repentance and turning the way we should. This is in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus turning to him, trusting that he will care for us. And who is this Jesus but nothing simply but the turning point of history that all mankind, our story that's being told turns on the hinges of this cross right here. As much as we may not believe and we still need a little bit convincing, even in the way we think of time, B.C. and A.D. are formed around this story and this truth of who Jesus is. That somehow it has to be harder than that, right? It has to be harder than just turning and pausing and giving God a second to speak to your heart significantly. It's got people have made it harder than that. I gotta get dressed up, I gotta go to the right church at the right time and do the right thing and and have the right mindset. No, no, no. Everything that you have, everything that you walk with. It's a turn. That's it. That's it. We complicate it so much. We will choose very often hard work over heart work. And oh, how it takes that hard work to turn. Where you are. Don't start from where you left off. Start from where you are. I mean, you know, we could always recount all the things we could have done better, but I just remember times when I am unhappy, very unhappy. Maybe I mentioned this before, I don't know. I'm crying myself to sleep, I'm so unhappy. I'm smoking hella weed, you know what I'm saying, drinking. I'm like in my father's house, my literally my, my earthly father's house. I have no job. I have no prospects for the future. I am just in pain. And I won't say that it was immediately after that I got saved, but I did get saved, and everything changed from just a turning. Because it's something about taking our eyes off our situation that empowers Jesus 
to appear in the midst of it, right? We're looking at it, we're thinking about it, we're anxious about it, we don't know how it's going to work out, Ah, we're going through a million scenarios, there's something about turning your back on that situation that allows it to grow from the ground, just as all these tulips and bulbs are popping out, you're like, I didn't even know it was a flower there. It's been chilling all winter, and all of a sudden it gets a little warm, that soil gets warmed, and here it goes, it pops up. You never imagine, there's this old saying, a watch pot will not boil, right? We're looking, we're like, okay, I'm concerned about this. And he's like, turn to me. Let me show you that I have it. That our turning puts our trust to the test. This is repentance. Repentance is not crawling up a mountain. Repentance is not hard work and sweating and shame. It is a turn to the most beautiful face you will ever see. The most loving countenance, the most loving arms, who doesn't forget, who doesn't remember that he can forgive nailed to this cross, therefore, he can forgive us and has forgiven us. We stand in this righteousness as we repent. I just try to remember that when I think I'm failing. That's a good reminder that I'm in my own righteousness. Failure is a good reminder of that. Because you're like, look at all this hard work I've done, and it's not working out. Jesus is like, oh, you did hard work? (laughs) When I'm in the righteousness of Christ, I'm not saying I can approach to being on the cross and forgiving people, but I do let situations go. And I don't demand revenge. Because I know God loves to work things out. Turning to him. Knowing that just as natural as the world moves, as naturally I was supposed to be with him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Something about turning that we forget about all the wrong turns we've made. We forget about our own turn to be blessed. We forget about our own turn to be proved right. All that melts away at us on this earth and we begin to hold our treasure where it exists. 
with Jesus. But what is the point of all this standing in righteousness and turning to Jesus? The point is rest. Rest. It's a strange word for a place that we can be so busy running around that man very rarely finds rest for our souls. We're frantically moving around. The enemy is speeding up. As we talked about last week, fear and anxiety speeds up our process. Rest becomes impossible. Our spiritual interior environment affects the way that we move through the world. When I'm anxious and and upset and, and fearful, the things that come out of my mouth are more harsh. The things that I do are more herky-jerky and not smooth and, and not peaceful. I am nowhere near rest. It says in Hebrews 4, 1, Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we have believed and do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. This is from Hebrews 4, 1 through 4. It's quoting from Psalm 95. Now who they're talking about are the children of Israel, right? Walking through the desert and uh, they're stubborn and they're disobedient. They don't have any kind of template for what it means to walk with God restfully. But oh, we do. And that is Jesus. At entering his rest is the goal of repentance, right? Returning to Jesus so that we can rest with him. And I don't think it was a mistake that he was crucified around the Sabbath during Passover. God rested from his work on the seventh day that our need for hard work is dangerous to rest. Our need to work it out ourselves really gets in the way. I say sometimes in Chicago, what is the worst cuss word you can call somebody in Chicago? Lazy. (laughs) The city of broad shoulders where we work hard and we, you know, reverse the flow of the river and we jack up buildings and fill them in with gravel and everything to the uh, east of Michigan is not really ground, it's all landfill. This is what we do here in Chicago. We work hard. But the greatest things, the greatest gifts that God has given us, we cannot work for. This is a picture I may have shown it before of the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen. And it was in a Walmart parking lot in Palm Springs. <laughs> Everybody's got their phones out taking pictures. I'm like, wow, this is sick. This is amazing. This is beautiful. And then I realize that God's greatest gifts allow us no credit. How many of us have children? I mean, we could take some credit for it, but some of his greatest gifts to us come 
while we are resting. Jesus is resting and being resurrected. And not only did he rest, he promised us to show us the rest of God and the Holy Spirit. Rest is a place work cannot take you, but only surrender. I imagine the 300 years when Jesus was quote-unquote silent to many people, there was a lot of consternation, tossing and turning, wringing of hands, wondering where you are with God. When we turn to God, we know where we are with God, at rest in him. Because this world without Jesus, people may seem to have it together. I promise you, the world without Jesus is a restless one. Where our souls have no place to go. They are roaming back and forth to whatever feels good, whatever tastes good. You're just like all over the place. As opposed to our rest being in Jesus.